Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Welcome everyone back to the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 9, Building the Golden Dream. Uh, Tonight we're going to be taking you back uh, to how the American Adventure in Epcot got its start. A little bit about the construction, the design, and uh, some of the other stories that uh, go along with it. So, I'm your host, Todd McCartney, as always, and uh, I've got the team with me tonight. Uh, How how are you doing tonight? Aloha, I'm doing well. There we go. And uh, JT... uh, How's it going out there? Doing good. How are you? Good, 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 good. And uh, Brian, how are you coming in from Philadelphia? Loud and clear? Greetings from the birthplace of our nation's independence. There we are. That is the theme for this episode. So, Brian, I think uh, you had a special note uh, for the beginning of this episode you wanted to, you wanted to go over, actually. I did. Uh, shortly after we recorded our last podcast, I had gotten word that uh, my first real co-worker that I shared an office with at my first real job the whole kind you go to from nine to five, Monday through Friday, uh, passed away. Uh, and, uh, Frank had retired. Franco Hansen, uh, had retired, uh, about seven or eight years ago. He actually, I hired him at the next company I went to after I left there and it was his last job. And, uh, he had, uh, had, a um, you know, some, some struggles over the last few years, but I had gotten where he passed away. And the, the way it relates to Disney, uh, is, uh, he took several trips there in his camper, uh, when we worked together and uh, stayed at Fort Wilderness with the family and the grandkids. And he brought me back a fantastically uh, gaudy but beautiful that I still wear Ears to You 2002 Mickey Mouse shirt. There you uh, go. So when I wear it, I will think of uh, Franco and I dedicate this podcast to my friend. All right, so as always, we uh, dial back to last month, uh, episode eight, and talk a little bit about uh, what went on last month and some corrections and comments that came in. Um, We had uh, two nice comments come in from uh, BJ Major, uh, both of them related to something we talked about. One was in the past... uh, Guys, if you remember, someone had challenged us or or asked a question when the autograph books came in, and uh, BJ wrote in that he's got them dating back to 1976. And uh, I know, what was it, JT, you had a picture of, uh, you had an early one from Pooh signing, right? I think that's what prompted this. He wanted Tigger. Oh, Tigger, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, I was in the 100 Acre Wood. Late 80s Tigger. Yeah. Yep. So at least we know now. 1976 is the first, uh, you know, uh, recollection from one of our, our viewers uh, or listeners of uh, when those those came to be. So the other thing that uh, BJ wrote in what about about was uh, the restaurant t- uh, t- that we talked about last month when we talked about little Oscar, uh, the little person who'd walk around and, and and you'd greet him and he'd he'd be in the restaurant. Um, he he did clarify that the name was the Town Square Cafe. Now it's uh, Tony's Town Square Restaurant. 
And um, he does note that it was one of the very few places in the Magic Kingdom where you could sit down and order a full breakfast. Um, although the restaurant was open all day, it became known for its breakfast because it was also the very first to feature the Mickey Mouse pancakes. Which begs the question, did it have Mickey-shaped butter? <laughs> Can you still get Mickey pancakes or are they Mickey waffles? I don't know. I know my son called Mickey Pan. He calls them Sticky Mickeys, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, when he had answered my question, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I had one other comment from last month. Remember, we uh, Jeff talked about the uh, electrical water pageant, and he said they had something called the Sea Monster, and it had these uh, vertical moving stripes, and we were all kind of confused. I took another look at that, and I thought about vertical moving stripes, and a cuttlefish has that. Do you guys? What do you guys think? Do you think that was supposed to be a really lame attempt at a cuttlefish, one of the few sea creatures that most people don't even know exists? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought the the moving stripes was kind of odd. So it was the seventies. Who knows? It was the seventies. You don't know how they were. Uh, they thought completely different back then. <laughs> exactly. It's a different time, man. Uh, now, how uh, on the topic of the electrical water pageant, you've got. One more very interesting bit that I think will uh, put the end to a, a mystery, I should. Yeah, so I think this was the one thing that I did not think we would ever get an answer to. So uh, last uh, last episode, I asked if anybody knew uh, Ron Mitzker personally, if they could ask him who in the world designed the electrical water pageant. And by gosh, by golly, uh, Chuck Mariachi, one of our listeners, actually knows Ron and cornered him and asked him who the designer was. And Ron actually remembered the designer's name is Ken Dressler, who apparently lives in the in the uh, the Washington area. So I'm going to try to track him down now and and see if we can talk to him. He camping out on his lawn. Uh, just yeah. you know, we we are taking um, uh, uh, donations for for uh, house bail money to be set as he approaches and gets a restraining order on Ken's house. If, but, if uh, Ken does it though, I think we should give him a shirt. I yeah. Mean, oh oh yeah. I, we got if we talk to him, we'll get we'll get. Him I shirt. have located but, and had located a friend of his uh, who what? has written. <laughs> this is getting creepy. Has written creepier. about uh, who has written about his his work for Disney. He was a contract designer for Disney for over a lot of years. So. Uh, and this is actually on a website where they're talking about theme park design. I found uh, out where mentions... Ken's kids go to school, so I mean, that <laughs> might be something, too, if you're looking for him. That's... Well, I've got one of his kids here. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ken, we're nice, we promise. Yeah, we won't yeah. bite. We'll be good. So. Oh, and Todd, I actually yes. I have one for you, too, that we don't have written down in the show notes. So sure. I got the opportunity before my annual passes ran out for the summertime to ride the Jungle Cruise, which was freshly opened, cleaned, spit and polished. Yeah. And if we think back to what was it, our first or second episode, it's like we asked the question about the crying crocodile. Oh, yes, yes. And I actually saw the the Jungle Cruise gag work exactly the way that I described it, wow. where the water squirted out of the elephant's mouth into yep. the alligator's mouth, which closed, and then the water shot out of both of the ears at a good three foot distance. So, so wow. perfect, perfect, Mark Davis, uh, yep. execution of of small humor, and you know that probably doesn't go noticed by many people. It's awesome to see that something like that is still being executed and working to this day. So, excellent follow up. So. Off to this month's topic, uh, which is the American Adventure in Epcot's World Showcase. Now, uh, 
one of the things that we talked about uh, when we were putting our show notes together was, uh, you know, why would we pick something like this? And, uh, uh, you know, not much has really changed with that show. We're going to talk about some of the things that have changed. Um, but why would we go ahead and pick something that hasn't changed? But <clears throat> when you look at it, uh, it's got some interesting design and then some and some interesting history to the construction. But also, um, you know, this is the month of uh, of July when we're recording this, and it's the celebration of uh, of America. We thought that'd be fitting. But it also kicks off. Uh, you know, we want to go around World Showcase and talk about the the different pavilions that are out there. Um, and I, I think it's fitting to start with uh, with this pavilion and and uh, and go th- go through it. So um, now the history of it and the design. Um, has gone through a lot of different changes over the years. Uh, one thing that is definitely constant is that the attraction was always going to be there in Epcot, uh, but its location and, and, and design and what the, the pavilion would actually be changed quite quite a bit over the years. Um, in fact, just you know, you as you as everybody knows now, it's a it's a stage show. Um, there were talks of it being for American folklore, uh, an, an idea for the attraction to only feature audio animatronics, uh, you know, no movies and projections. Um, uh, another one was a ride through uh, attraction featuring short vignettes and different things. So, it really, just like any attraction that we talk about, has gone through a lot of a lot of different uh, changes. And we're going to go through through that and how it, um, you know, a little bit here how it materialized into uh, what they call the the magic the magic theater. But before we get into that, um, guys, you know, the location is somewhat of an area of uh, where American Adventure would be that had had moved right um, now. Originally, <clears throat> um, the American Pavilion was going to be between Future World and World Showcase, kind of, uh, you know, if you could imagine drawing a line between Odyssey and Journey to Imagination, somewhere in, in that area where the bridge is. Uh, and there were talks of making it where the people would walk underneath the pavilion with an attraction overhead, and it would be the gateway uh, to the rest of the world. And um, that didn't sit well um, with some of the designers from what I've read, um, you know, saying that uh, it was too showy or too much of elitist type uh, positioning of the pavilion since it was America. But um, how, and and Brian and, and you guys have dug into some other things that uh, I believe Mr. Nunes had something to do with the, the design and kind of moved it and adjusted things from there. Well, at the uh, Epcot 30 um, the actual opening session featured Marty Sklar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Marty, one of the two people with, I guess, John Hench, who apoc- apocryphally uh, pushed together the World Showcase and Future World to say this is what Epcot Center would be. Uh, and at that design, at that time, there was the, the, the circular building at the entrance to World Showcase that, as you just described, the guests would have walked under. You would have walked up or actually taken an escalator or something up into the attraction uh, and it would have been a variety of things which we'll talk about. So, And and that was supposed to be the the, the way you walked into World Showcase. So they have the model out and uh, it was very funny. It's in Marty Sklar's book that was released after that, but it was much funnier to hear him tell the story uh, in person. So Dick Nunes walks in and uh, he looks at the – he looks at the model – and he says, what's that? And he, and he points to the American thing. And they say, oh, well, that's the American pavilion. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he points to the back of World Showcase where American Adventure is now. And he says, you have to put it there. That's the weenie. That's the <laughs> castle. That's what's going to draw all the guests. 
around the entire circumference of World Showcase. That's where they want to get to, just like when they walk into a, a Magic Kingdom park and see the castle at the end of Main Street. So that ultimately is how the the building got moved from the front of the park, uh, World Showcase to the back. Yep. And I have to and I have to really hand it to him because I think in reality the audience of the tourist in nineteen eighty two would have looked at World Showcase and just seen it as like a collection of country things and without a big attraction, especially one that's American, knowing yep. knowing American patriotism, that would be the thing that someone would say, Well, we gotta go see the American thing. Right. Right. And and keeping in mind this was in 1980, 81, 82, this was a time where the Hall of Presidents still had a 45-minute wait in the summertime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, this, this was not, you know, today I don't know that you'd get the same, uh, you know, interest in it that, that you got 30 years ago. Right, yeah. right. I think we're a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more worldly now uh, <laughs> as a culture. But at that time, it would be, I'm going to see America. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's interesting, too, is not that— Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no. No, America is fantastic. Taking the cue of it being the weenie and getting people around, look at how the boats are positioned. They don't go to the American Pavilion, too, right? So the boats that you can take from either side don't cross right to the Middle Lagoon and get you there. They're still purposely designed to take you a pavilion away, you know, on either on either side. Well, even right. at that early point, there was there was a stage that jutted out into the water. Right. So right. you know you wouldn't have put that there because they there is always entertainment planned to be out in front of sure, it. Sure. Sure. So and you had to, you could always catch the double decker bus that ran around World Showcase. The Jitney. Yeah. Did you guys read that putting it there also centered it between the two countries, you know, Canada and Mexico, like it is now? And you our, know, the, yeah, our neighbors to the north and south. That's yeah. why they're the first two countries that you that you see even though they're on e either side. Even though we're east and west when you're walking south. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to confuse. So. All right, so as we, we did talk about, it, it, it went through a couple different designs. What's interesting is that when they... they... Right, can I interject real quick? For anybody listening that hasn't read books on theme park design, the weenie yes. is supposed to be something... <laughs> it was, I think it was a... It's a Walt Disney term, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Walt, you know, it's, it's something that's supposed to attract your attention but not be immediately, you know... Draws you towards it. It's Correct, the... correct. Like holding a weenie in front of a dog. So, and the I don't dog want you to think we're talking about a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though JG like the, just referenced it as a hot dog. <laughs> yes, the and castle they, and, is the weenie. Chinese theater is the weenie. Yeah, right. And and even as you get into, uh, for example, at the Magic Kingdom at the hub, if you look down each one of the concourses into the lands, there's something there that draws you in. So, uh, it it used to be the uh, the star jets in uh, Tomorrowland, the uh, the riverboat in uh liberty square mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense because it's liberty square but i will digress for now <laughs> uh but yes and you would you would be able to see something that would draw you into that into the the next location so that way you you kind of had a feeling of where to go there is and, a plan to all the madness right That's and at right. no and at no time was a giant hat an actual weenie. No, <laughs> it was a weenie from it another reason. It was just reason. a weenie it's in just general. a weenie idea to begin with. So. Some go. weenie thought of it. <laughs> so uh, the different designs, we talked about how there was going to be a ride through, um, short vignettes and all that. But um, <clears throat> they, from what I found here is that they, they killed nearly six different versions 
including uh, the Paul Bunyan version. Until the Paul Bunyan with uh, American folklore, you know, nothing like a giant babe coming out. It, uh, I would even venture to say, based on an interview with Randy Bright, that they may have considered putting America Sings, some some version of America Sings in there. Yeah, that's true, too. You never know. Um, so they actually came up, eventually came up with the idea of using the Magic Theater. Now, the Magic Theater was a design that um, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna let uh, Brian plug a book here that we that we've read to get some more insight to this. But um, the Magic Theater is what you go into today, and you think, ah, it just looks like a theater. Now, what's interesting about the pavilion is that um, I don't know, JT, how how many how many uh, feet tall is it? When you walk uh, up to, it, what does it look like to you? What does it look like? It looks bigger than it is, isn't it? It's that force perspective, right? It is force perspective. Did I just answer the question? Yeah, but you didn't give me a number. I, uh, <laughs> I, I want to say it, it's supposed to look like only three. I forget. Right, it's right, it's yeah, an yeah. odd thing. It's no, supposed to right. look like three, but it's more. It's, right. It's five. It's actually five, and they because the it windows are, are are an optical illusion type thing. Exactly, right? but they actually had instead of making things look taller, which is what you use force perspective for, uh, to the eye, they used it kind of in a different fashion here to bring the front of the building down to be only three three stories tall. Now people are saying, well, why why is it five stories tall? And this is where the the amazing part of the magic theater comes in. So when if everybody I'll remembers for one moment, yeah. For your history moment, can you name yes. the famous American building in actuality that uses the same uh, perspective from the outside? It's the one in Philadelphia, I believe. Uh, it is uh, not. It is not. It is no. the White House. The White House. The outside looks like it's two floors and is actually five. Oh, okay. look at that! Looking at it from the look front, it looks like it's two floors. You see two sets of windows, but right. it is actually you're looking at five floors worth of rooms there. And it's actually easier to get into the White House than the American Adventure. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so as you enter the, uh, the the attraction, everybody goes into the main rotunda area where the, the Voices of Liberty sing, and you then go up this big escalator. And the reason for you going up the escalator is that you need to get up to that fourth, fifth floor, so to speak, in order for the Magic Theater to work. And the reason why the Magic Theater needs all that space is because majority of the sets that encompass the show are actually under, stored underneath the theater and move on these giant tracks. Now, how you and... and um, and Brian, I know Brian, you recommended the book where they go into great detail. And the, the size of this gantry system that was designed was is massive and had to move in complete silence um, and, and lift tons and tons of weight, be perfectly timed. And uh, it was quite amazing. Now, Brian, what was the name of the book? That It's called Building a Better Mouse. That's it, yep. Uh, and it is by Steve Alcorn and David Green. Uh, and they were individuals who worked on the actual construction of Epcot, really from 1979 on. Right, right. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, Steve Alcorn, I think, was an electrical engineer, and that was the role that he played. So what you had to figure out how to do. The best way I can describe how the theater works is when you're sitting there, you're looking at the stage. All of the animatronics for the, for the, for the attraction are underneath you when you sit down. And then as each scene rises up, it moved the stuff that's underneath you moves forward towards the stage. So one almost like a slide projector, not a carousel one, but a straight one. So as as one slide, one scene drops down, uh, stuff moves forward towards the stage. And then that's what pops up next. Uh, 
and there are eight or nine scenes. Yeah, I forget, that forget eight or nine carousels of of animatronics that that rise up from the bottom. And then, of course, you have uh, scenes that think, you know, items that rise down from the top, which is the Rosie the Riveter and the Declaration of Independence mm -hmm. and the screen at the end that uh, plays uh, Golden Dream. Right, right. And probably one or two things I'm not remembering. And yeah, there was and a, there's a there's a couple that are fixed too in front of the stage, like Washington on the horse. Those are off. There's about uh, four or five items that are actually off the carriage. Will right. Will Rogers too? Right? Doesn't he get pushed in from? Yeah, the I side? think F FDR, Will Rogers, Washington. Um, yep, Brody or Brady, the photographer. Right, right. And and so when they design this. It, it was something they hadn't done with animatronics before. Animatronics were always in stationary scenes and they were the things that were moving. So now you had the design, uh, you know, the electronics, the hydraulics, everything to move these giant sets. So if you ever look at early construction photos of the American Adventure, you'll see that the show building is enormous. Yeah. Inside uh, uh, Walt Disney's Epcot book, uh, there's a fantastic construction picture taken from the backside. I mean, we should, we should get this posted and you can actually see the rotunda, um, exposed, but you can see the uh, enormity, um, of, of the building. And, uh, I've got it here. I'm just going to, which is amazing that you can see the rotunda too. I mean, it's re really cool how they got that all designed. So, so we talked about how like the show went through six different designs and, and that the fascinating thing in the book is, that as you read about this stuff, it, it's really the chaotic world of, of Walt Disney Imagineering at, at the time that they were designing and building Epcot. And, and one of the opening lines in the book, Steve Alcorn talks about, you know, prior to this period of time, 1978, 1979, the most that Walt Disney Imagineering or WED at that time had done prior to, to this was they might have been working on two rides at once. You know, we're working on the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion at the same time and and going through the design phase and construction of those things. And then all of a sudden, they're building an entire theme park with 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 uh, Future World and uh, <laughs> and World Showcase. At the same time, they're building Tokyo Disneyland and right. working on Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, and there was a third thing he mentioned that they were working on at the oh, time. Oh, the, the, the rehab of Disneyland. Uh, oh, right, right. The yeah. whole new Fantasyland. Yeah, for, that was for, all getting for, done. For, that was all done at the same time out of out of Imagineering. Right. Uh, so, you know, where he was hired was this, it was all contracted. It was all these waves and waves of employees over there that were just, you know, moving in to, to work for the next three years for the company. And then as soon as the, the projects were done, they were all, they were all laid off. Right. We're going to have to do an episode just on the, the construction aspect of, because the, that the book really lends well to the detail of the different things that went on, where they it, lived and fascinating, fascinating stuff. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially the last month trying to get it open. Right. I mean, they were literally sleeping up on the second floor lounge at the American Express Coca-Cola lounge. They would just, you know, they'd work 20 hours, go upstairs, sleep four, and then walk back downstairs. And yep. uh, one of my favorite stories from the book uh, is that, you know, what this guy did was was all the wiring, you know, wiring all the animatronics, wiring the control systems that controlled the whole ride. The cabinets, don't forget. The, the cabinets, cabinets, the cabinets, right. And <laughs> so he's working on, on one of them, and it's it's about four days worth of work. And... <laughs> He, he he goes home for the night to sleep and comes back in the morning and some and there's a whole description in there of you know what they were allowed to do and then what they had to wait to let the union electricians do 
And the union electrician guy had come in and wired everything without labeling anything. (laughs) So they literally had to undo four days worth of work and redo all of it. Otherwise, the minute something had broken, nothing. I mean, it's one comical story after another when you recognize that it did not open on opening day. It opened a few, you know, they did a soft opening basically for the first few weeks of October. Uh, but the stories of every time they tried to run it, you know, in, in, in August and early September, it just, it, something broke, something failed, something didn't get done right. Uh, and it, it didn't open on time either. Everybody thinks it did, but it, it was not ready for, for no, opening day. It, uh, it, it, they, they had it up and running by the time of the official opening by the 25th of October. Right. But it was not really but, on But uh, yeah, the, the October 1st, it was, it was catch as catch can. They didn't, I think they said the first guests actually saw it on the 4th or 5th of October. Right. But, but it was up and down for the next three weeks as they worked out kinks. It was a massive project. Yeah. And you also have to think there, there's a massive amount of safety issue with this. So if you imagine these, these sets, I believe they said there's twice the width of a boxcar, the whole, the whole gantry system that moves underneath. Um, and there had to be special stops put in place that if something went wrong for any reason, these sets otherwise would try hydraulically to lift up. And if they're not in the right spot, you would literally have some of these massive sets coming straight through the floor of the theater and going right into the folks right sitting the there, people. right into the people. So they and had the engineers. To, the, I mean, there's three or four stories in there of engineers who came within inches yeah. of getting crushed by these things as and, they were trying to get them, get them running. And they were d- inserting pieces of cardboard to test the stop. Measure, you know, the, the, the <laughs> so, so one of the famous stories is that uh, they had not gotten it to run correctly and Card Walker and the Disney executives were bringing executives from American Express and Coca-Cola who were the it's the only pavilion that ever had joint sponsors when it opened. Uh, so those were the two sponsors originally and they bring them in to see the show and well Todd why don't you take it from there. So I think they got about what three, three or four scenes into the show or so, right? And then um, they were having trouble with the whole system underneath. It started to 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 lift up, and they realized they're going to have to cancel the show. And they came within, I think, inches of it going completely awry. Hit the emergency stop button. You know, the lights had to come on, and that was that. the The demo was 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 quickly over quickly over and then there was a visit from mr newness exactly (laughs) what's going on so fix it it, get it working correctly uh which as as we said they eventually did but the the book is a fantastic read um there's a lot about the computer systems the cabling um we do have uh an individual who who did work on some of the computers that we're going to try to get on the, the show in the future so hopefully we can we can bring him in and talk about that but um what's interesting though is of the four of us JT, you have laid eyes on yes. the system. There. You were back there. You've seen this massive it, system. It's creepy because when we went in there, and granted, there was like a group of, I think, uh, 20 of us. Totally dark back there because you're behind. This like, was a legal, movie. by the way. This was JT. Yeah, was not the yeah, it was the backstage. So no dark tour. side of Disney. Right, right. No, first, first stop on the tour. They explained the force perspective. They also, did you guys know about the clock, the wrong numbers on the front of it? No. No, if he, the I, number I, four. Oh, thing, the four right? with yeah. the with the Roman. Yeah, numeral. the wrong four. Roman numeral. They it's told not us wrong. that it's just a way that the colonials. Yeah, so I forget where exactly the clock that you're referencing the clock out front. 
yeah, on the front the of the building. On the face they, of the building. Right. Has, the tour, they take you to World Showcase before it opens, and there's trucks sitting there and all kinds of stuff. It's weird to see a pickup truck sitting on World Showcase, but that was... <laughs> Um, and then they take you backstage and they're running before it opens. Cause how long is the show? What do you got? It's 20, the... 29 minutes about. Okay. So they run it one time before the guests show up, you know, like the first run and you know, that's, we show up back there and you see it and it's weird because these massive sets, it's totally dark. You can't see much of anything other than like one 40 watt light bulb on. <laughs> so we don't trip yeah. and they turn that off, you know, during the day. Um, you kind of get a glimpse of these, uh, the scenes moving but you see them moving and you don't hear them. And that's the craziest thing because it's a massive, massive set that's sliding in front of you and it's just not, there's no sound. I mean, other than like the, you know, the, the whoosh, you know, like, like just like a chest of drawers. Yes, like a chest <laughs> of drawers. And <laughs> uh, to the audience. The way they worded it, it's basically an elevator shaft laid on its side and it's just then it leads under the, uh, under the floor of the audience and that's it. And we, we came about the ending, the last five to ten minutes of it and watch you know the the golden dream song all that stuff and you can see it from behind the stage this the show going on and stuff so and, and uh, did you do they say if it's if it, i can't remember i know there's hydraulics that lift them but did they say what is it pulled by a, a winch system or, or you know to move it underneath i do not remember okay. well if you in the book uh one of the things they talk so the original designer and uh steve alcorn uh politely uh, abbreviates his name to Bob M instead mm-hmm. of his full name because he he doesn't come off particularly well in the book. <laughs> he was the original, I, I guess, engineering designer for the for the for the project. Uh, he retired in 1980 or 81, like in the middle of it, like, and they were all like, "Oh, that's good," uh, but he was trying to design it uh, with linear induction motors. Oh, shit. oh wow! And he said, the designers are looking at it, saying, "There's no way you're going to be able to move these massive sets with linear <laughs> induction motors." Uh, but it, it apparently worked on that system, like worked on trying to design it that way for for quite a while before the guy finally w- was out of there, and they said, oh, there's no way this works." And, right. I have to confess, I don't remember what the final uh, what the final uh, carriage system is that moves it, but I think it's something more traditional. Yeah, yeah. We did see back there the uh, one of the faces off of Mark Twain. It was just laying there. We got to hold it like it was like a spare face. It was like Ooh. face off, like Nicolas Cage, like sitting there. Because those those those. I know that those audio animatronic figures were definitely made a little differently than some of the others where the, the, the rubber moves a little more. So when they talk, the skin is a little more realistic. And the other interesting thing is that, you know, that they didn't have the voices come out of the main speakers in the system, too. So when the audio animatronic figures are speaking, the voice is coming out of a speaker that's closer to them, obviously pumped up quite loud. But so that it feels like they're speaking rather than center channel style. Exactly. Coming directly. One, one of the run throughs they were doing in the beginning uh, is a great story in the book uh, where they where they do the, uh, the 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 two brothers photograph. Mm-hmm. So there's a plume of smoke that comes up from the from the uh, from the flash. flash. Yeah. Uh, well, when when they were demoing it for some of the executives, they couldn't get that to work. So they just had a guy back there to fake put a, a plume of smoke up. Uh, and they're like, oh, it worked great. Yeah. So they leave the theater and they're like, I don't know how we're going to make this thing work for the show. You have to hire a cast member. Every, yeah, I mean, every, it was just, it was, it was a whole, it was a total fake job. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the things, you were talking about the exter of the building. Uh, a lot of people think that it is modeled. It's it's a model of Independence Hall, the the old Pennsylvania State House where, where the, 
Declaration of Independence was signed. Right. Uh, that is not it. It is it is uh, just supposed to be uh, generic colonial Georgian style, yeah, building. yeah, architecture from the from the late 1700s. Uh, so it's not actually modeled after any specific building. Yeah. Now, when we were back there, there was actually like a worker back there. Like I don't know who he was or what his, he was like. Kind of like a audio animatronic type guy, but John he was Dior. just he was just there for the test and but basically that whole show runs all day long with nobody back there that's what they told us i thought that was crazy that it's just on timers and it just resets and then starts again well you know it's funny that you say that too all by itself when you go through the book and they talk about the computer systems there's a there's a section where they're talking about that you had a control room there you know and that had to talk to the computer central which was down at the other end of epcot and they didn't know how many wires it'd have to lay and how many conduits it's unbelievable that even with that technology back in 1980, you know, when they're designing and putting this thing together, that they, they got that to work and that had everything down to Computer Central controlling it remotely. I'm sure some of the systems have been updated you know, since, since that totally. time behind the scenes. But, yeah, it, it's, it's really amazing. So um, we're, we're on the, the, before we go into some of the show, we're not going to run through all the, the different scenes. I, I want to talk about a couple of them. But um, I was just going to hit on some, uh, some stats. Um, what was interesting, JT, did you get to see much of the projection screen? Because that's an amazing rear projection. It's it's uh, It starts in the beginning of the show at 75 feet wide, about 28 feet tall, and then widens at the very end, as we know, opens up behind uh, uh, the statues. Uh, we, we were so close. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't even tell, but yeah. No, like, I mean, I was like three feet from the, the you know, the, what do you call it, elevator type system, the, the scene sliding, and then the scene, you know, I could tell what was on there because I had seen the show like the yeah. day before, but it was so close I couldn't, we weren't yeah. like, it, it was, it's really weird back there, really dark, like mm-hmm. it's like a backstage area, they want it to be completely pitch black. So. Right, so you really can see it. So there's 35 audio animatronics. Uh, how, what do we have in World of Motion when you went through that? There was definitely 70-something, right? It was like 130-something. It was the most audio animatronics ever used in a show. All right. So, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're dwarfed by that. It seems like a lot, it, but, uh, you it, know, in comparison to some of the other shows, it's not as many. Right, right. Now, what is impressive is you get got 1,000 seats in, the, in that audience. It's, it fits quite a few. Now, if you think about that, it's pretty much two shows an hour at 29 minutes, give or take a f- you know, few for loading and unloading there. Um, that's a pretty pretty good capacity at 2,000 an hour, but not up to you know, what some other places can do. Because I think even World of Motion had a higher capacity than that. So. Oh, yeah, it was close to 4,000. Yeah, think, but yeah. still pretty impressive for, for a theater show. Um, you know, there's some interesting things here where the, uh, some of the audiometronics have uh, wigs made of real human hair. A lot of the props are real antiques. Um yeah, so which is really really interesting. Now, um, there was a lot of contemplation on how to tell the story. Um, you know, how do you compress down multiple centuries of of America into into twenty nine minutes? And you know, I think the what they did was was terrific in the way that they broke it down to different centuries. But what's interesting is that they originally wanted to have three different presenters. As we all know now, there's Benjamin Franklin and Mark Twain, who represent the 18th and 19th century, respectively. But Will Rogers, as you know, makes it, uh, an appearance into the uh, into the show. But he was going to actually be the third presenter. And there is... I have the script here. We could play it out between three of us. There, the script has yeah, been uncovered. I'm, I'm good. You're good. You know, we're, 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 we're good. Let's <laughs> we're not, spare everybody. Let's roll through it. But there was an actual script written uh, for the opening where Ben Frank and Mark Twain and Will Rogers would all 
go ahead and and uh, introduce it. So he was going to be, but the, apparently, from what I read, and I don't know if you guys have heard differently, but um, that uh, just decided that Will Rogers wouldn't appear because a lot of people wouldn't know um, who who he was. Yeah, they, I think they had effect. done the uh, they had done so they read some kind of survey where only like eight percent of college students had any idea had ever heard of him. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and that was uh, political science majors. <laughs> they they actually queried political science majors, and nobody knew who Will Rogers was. So. That's amazing, huh? He has that institute, right? Well, well, yeah. well the funny <laughs> thing is, yes, if you went to the movies in the yeah. last 15 or 20 years when they used to pass the change buckets at the AMC theaters, they would show a whole you know pre-show about the, the Will Rogers Institute and solicit donations. Right, right. That was back different in the movies than Roy in the 90s Rogers, and 2000s. Right. You know, so that's the honestly, that's the only way I knew who he was until I saw him in the Epcot show. Right. So, right. Then you're like, oh, who was this guy? And he was like, oh, he was like the biggest star of his age. And yep. Well, all the people his age that might have been alive when Epcot opened, most of them are dead now. So, <laughs> but they do, they do use him in the show, as we talked about, to kind of represent part of the, the 20th century. He survived. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what is just, oh, go ahead. Hal. I thought it was interesting that they actually, so once Will Rogers went out, they actually had a running list of 300 names of people who could potentially be the 20th century spokesman, even Walter Cronkite. Yeah. And they said they couldn't get five people to agree yeah. on any yeah. one of them. That befuddles me because Walter Cronkite would be awesome. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Well, the, one of the things that you pick up reading these books, especially the stuff written by the people who were involved in the design is, uh, you know, the design process, even though it moved by certainly by today's standards, it all moved extremely quickly back then. Uh, but there were so many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. It's a miracle anything got done. I mean, I really think at the end, by announcing, hey, we're opening in October of 1982, it was just like last idea on the table before it's beyond the point where we have to break ground. Okay, that wins. We're we're just going with that. There's a great story in the book about the film at the end. Actually, it's not in the book. It's on Inside the Magic. Uh, it's, a, it's a first-hand account from some people who were involved in the film at the end, and there were three different versions or six, I'm sorry, six different versions of the film at one point that were being, that were being worked on by different teams of people. Right. And so these executives sit down to screen three of them and they don't love any one of the three. They don't capture it. One's still images, one's the soaring Eagles and everything. So, uh, they turn and ask Randy Bright, who was the designer of the show. Well, what, what do you think? And he gives this very esoteric explanation of his vision for the finale. And one guy in the room says, I know what he wants to do. Give me three weeks. So <laughs> after three weeks, he comes back. They play the song. He has three film projectors set up, each with different edits of the films that were shown. And he projects them all at the same time onto the screen and so they're so the soaring eagle that you see there flying through the flying through the screen and then the stills of walt disney you know they were from different projectors when this guy screened the thing and at the end randy bright says that's exactly what i want that's the film you know so they edited the thing together that way so it was actually elements of all three films that that ultimately made it to mm -hmm. the golden dreams that we know today. And the amazing part is after that, they agreed, it took them only six weeks to put together the final film that was ready, yeah. which, I mean, that's 
unheard of for something like that. So I, I just find it I find it absolutely fascinating that the whole reason that the show came together was actually not because someone had an idea for the show, but they had an idea for the theater. Like once they came up with the idea for the magic theater, they built the show around that. They're like, okay, we know how we're going to present the story. But we have no idea what the story, story is. Yeah. It is amazing. It's come through. So with the story, with that said, you know, what I thought was interesting is that um, they, and I never picked up on this, that the technology of the specific century that they're highlighting is, is done through, for instance, pilgrims and colonists they use paintings behind them and the civil war is photographed and world war one you get onto moving pictures and you know late radio and radio so not only obviously we didn't have photographs back then but it's very true to the time period And, and when you start you when you start picking up and learning about those little nuances and little things that that are in the show you really begin to appreciate the thought process that went behind after you read the book that we've talked about and you understand what these designers were, were up against and and not sleeping and basically eating out and not eating healthy at all, not being able to cook their own meals, um, it's amazing that they were able to stay coherent <laughs> through this entire time yeah. and do all of these fine-tuning adjustments to it to put forth a, a really an amazing show. And, and at the end, I mean, literally month like a month after they finished it, all right, you're laid off. We don't need you anymore. You're done. Epcot's I mean, open. Epcot's open. Got nothing else for you to work on. Thanks. Yep. Here's your here's your free ticket to get in. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, you talked about you know, the elements of realism that they incorporated into it. About seven or eight months ago, uh, on Twitter, one of these you know old-timey photo feeds that I follow puts posts this picture. And their picture of the day is these like four guys around the depression sitting on the porch of a general store. And as soon as I looked at it, I said, that's directly out of the American adventure. <laughs> and here, if you compare the photo to, to the, uh, to the, to the scene in, in American adventure, which is my favorite scene, by the way, when they're at the general store and the, the, uh, gas, uh, the gas, uh, receptacle, uh, bubbles up, yep. uh, when, when he's sitting there, uh, that is actually modeled directly off of that that you know depression era photo. So right. there's there's really nothing in the show that isn't pulled from some element of realism. Right, Rosie the Riveter and, and mm-hmm. two brothers and all that. It's amazing. So we're gonna talk a little bit of the changes that have gone through the years, but they've been so subtle that I don't think a lot of people would would pick up on them. In 1993, that the show got all new animatronics. Now that's interesting because it, that's just a smidge over 10 years, you know, 12 years there. Um, and I, we can only assume, as we talked about earlier, maybe the computers were redone. And, and then there was new footage added to the end of the film. I believe in 1993, they added the Challenger disaster, right? Um, that was added. A couple other elements were added. Um, and then the new theme song. And I never, I got to go play both versions of, of Golden Dream because there's there are two different ends is my understanding is that the, the end of the song changes do you guys did you guys ever pick up on that no no <laughs> we're gonna do some digging and listen to both versions so yeah, i i believe the newer versions of the show are slightly longer so then they had to extend the song in order to cover the additional footage oh, okay I, that was added didn't didn't i how you're the audio expert didn't i hear or see some exchanges about there being an alternate recording. Uh, yes, that's, that's that's a long got extra verses or something in it. 
Well, I had I had asked the question because there's a line in the show where uh, Benjamin Franklin says, "Oh no, those are the words of John." He's a friend. Franklin says something, and then uh, Mark Twain says, "Oh, I don't recall writing that." And then Ben Franklin says, "Oh no, those are the words of John Steinbeck here in the 20th century." And I thought to myself, oh, man, when they recorded this in 1979 or 1980, I wonder if they had the foresight to do a second <laughs> version that said, you know, back in the 20th century, because at we hopped into the 21st century in there. Uh, and uh, someone came back and said that uh, they could tell that the, the line had been changed to say back in the 20th century. And they felt that it, it was perhaps a re-recording, perhaps someone trying to do... Uh, Dallas McKinnon's voice um, because they hadn't thought about that back then. Interesting. So they they didn't have that foresight to look. Yeah. There. Huh. Which does actually, there is a great Dallas McKinnon story because uh, while uh, Dallas McKinnon is in recording his lines as Ben Franklin in here, uh, someone comes over him to a piece of paper and says, hey, uh, while we've got you, can you read this stuff? And he does the prospector uh, warning uh warning spiel for big thunder mountain this like while the they have him ride ride in the wilderness. Wilderness. <laughs> i love that so that just hey while you're here just take care of this for us we yeah do this, do this famous infamous recording that will be seared in people's brains for the next 50 years <laughs> oh man that's interesting a little addition there so Guys, anything else to add to American Adventure? Of course, we're going to go around all of World Showcase over the next couple of years. It's, we go through everything uh, from a retro perspective. But, um, you know, uh, anything else to add in, in, into it? And, and understood that we, we did, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we were planning on having some special guests who were there um, at some very specific moments in the early uh, years of American Adventure, and we're going to work to to get them on a future show or even a special small show, um, so that you can hear about the the stories. But uh, anything to add, guys, before uh, before we move on? Um, I thought this was interesting, and uh, I don't know if you guys know what what hotel is behind the American Adventure. Do you know? Uh, do I know that that hill, uh, um, uh, what do it's you call it? Disney Caribbean, 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 Caribbean Beach. Apparently, apparently, when that was built, this is past our era. But if you look at the back of there, you could see the back of the American Adventure from that hotel, like when it was built. So they had to put fake windows on it to make it look <laughs> more real for show purposes. Because, but you know, before Caribbean Beach was built, that you know nobody saw the back of it. But then when that was built, it you know you could see it, and it looked just like a an empty warehouse from the back, which technically it is. So that I thought that was interesting. If you go back there, there's like those big square wooden boxes with fake windows on the back of it. Now I've got to go to Google Earth and see how far back the satellite pictures go, so we can try and determine that. That's that's interesting. So they did so, what they did. They didn't make the the uh, Rhineland to, uh, voyage voyage on the Rhine look like a German building. Then I guess. <laughs> no, it's because it, it, it's it's not not. They push this a lot on that tour. It's not show. It's not a show side. Because so I'm looking at the satellite now. The non-show side has almost like little dormers. Yeah, that's what they added. Okay, and if you hold go on. back farther, gonna, though, they aren't there. Let's go back in time. I'm going to jump all the way to 1995. Well, that is... That's not far enough, is it? Well, it, no, the Caribbean Beach opened in 1990. Yeah, but 
it, it's showing up in 2005, but you know it is the satellite photos are so terrible from back mm-hmm. then. But it's weird because you're back there, and they probably look fine from the distance, the Caribbean beaches, but when you actually look at it like standing underneath it, it looks like, you know, the McFarkles put two pieces of plywood together, painted them white, and then, you know, nailed them to the building. It just yeah. looks horrible. But from a distance, it's cool. It looks passable. It's passable. Yeah, yeah, there's outlines and shapes in 95 that you can see that they were there in 95, but we'll have to go back further in time and see. So Interesting. As, as we close the book on American Adventure, it's probably worth mentioning that since opening day, there's been a quick service restaurant attached to it mm-hmm. of oh. some ill repute. <laughs> because uh, it, it, in fact, I have that 19, the first Birnbaum's Guide, and I was reading about the Liberty Inn, and it's, you know, it's a, as American as apple pie. You get apple pie, hamburgers, and hot dogs. Yep. And, you know, Americans of 1982 might have thought, absolutely, that's Americana. Uh, in our post Food Network uh, era, um, brisket. Yeah, I, I think that uh, What's today it's generally, it, the food, I'll tell you what. The food's not terrible there. I've 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 happened in there a few times the last uh, over the last five years on on trips because of convenience. You know, happened to be with people. It was a busy day on World Showcase, so we wander in there, and uh, it's not bad. But it's still you know hamburgers and chicken sandwiches, and I think there's um, there's a lot to be said for Disney taking a you know as much as they like developing food and beverage uh, locations. A couple of things to note. There's an empty pad next to on each side of American Adventure still, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's empty pads on both sides. So there's room for expansion. And with the, you know, acclaim that American chefs get now and and the focus that we get, uh, I would think that at some point they have to they have to take a look at Liberty Liberty uh, in and decide to do something more than hamburgers and hot dogs. Right. Yeah. But it's, always, it's an original. If you want to know what it was like to eat in World Showcase in 1982, wander into Liberty Inn. As oh, show. there you go. Yep. And the restrooms there have uh, the two, uh, the men's room and the women's restroom have actually these great little wrought iron signs uh, where the actually like the symbol of the man and the woman are actually like built into the wrought iron or the sign. It's very clever. Worth worth checking out. Nice. Great little detail. Yeah, we visited those restaurants when my son my son fell down during an Eat to the Beat concert series, hit his head on the curb, and then he had to look crazy. Oh uh, no, he did. The late, that night we well, had to take him to the really, ER. So Christopher Cross can excite anybody. No, it was it was Hojo. <laughs> okay. Uh, w- one last thing on the second floor uh, is the aforementioned American Express Coca Cola Lounge, which is now there's no sponsor, so it's just uh, a lounge area that was originally for the sponsors. Has anyone other than me been up there? I tried the line. I understand long. that you could rent that for weddings as well as the rotunda. It, because oh. there is, because there is, I've well, so two, two stories then. Because <laughs> I have, uh, because there is no sponsor now. That is correct. Pavilions with sponsors, you can't rent the private areas. But since most pavilions now no longer have sponsors, uh, most of those private areas are available for rent. Uh, I. A few years ago, uh, Disney did a Christmas uh, thing down there. D23 did a Christmas thing one weekend, and I had signed up for it, uh, and it was all in Epcot. So it was on the holidays around Walt Disney World and Walt's interactions to Christmas, et cetera, which we'll get to in the Christmas episode, which is planned. But uh, the during the day, they gave us access to the lounge area up there. So we were allowed to go up there and visit, and there was – you know, lemonade and, and water and some cookies and stuff. But but you could just go camp out there if you felt like taking a break and 
charge your phone. And so it's, it's a nice little two story area up there, but you take an elevator to get there. There's a door and they have a cast member by it. And then you go in, the cast member lets you in the elevator, takes you up to the second floor, lets you off. And then you can let yourself out by coming down the elevator. But there's actually, it, there's an escort, uh, in the rotunda, since you brought it up, how, uh, part of that weekend was we had dinner in the rotunda. Uh, so they did the last showing of, uh, of American Adventure at about, actually they, they let people in around, they let people in another door. So they kept running the show, but they just close off the rotunda and there's like a side door. They take people right in up the escalator. Uh, so the show was still running, but we were in the, uh, we were in the rotunda. They had all the, the tables set and there was a buffet off to the side where the, uh, where the gallery is. And about three quarters of the way through uh, through dinner, they brought in Colonial Garb, Mickey and Minnie for us to take pictures. Ah, so that was uh, that was one of the unannounced surprises we got. But it was nice. It was nice to sit there. And I, I have a picture that they took of me eating dinner at some table. You can pick <laughs> me out because I have a bright red shirt. And like, hey, there I am. <laughs> so, yes, you can rent them, though. So if you want to have a big blowout retro Disney weekend, we can do it right there at the event. Yeah. Now accepting reservations. But I still want the Norway or the uh, Living Seas with the acrylic piano. They have a Oh, they have their fun. own viewing view, their own glass looking into the looking into the uh, aquarium and uh, there is an acrylic clear piano in there long before the iMac was ever was ever built. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps up the building the golden dream here. Not the whole episode, but just this segment. So um, uh, I think it's time to move on now to uh, to the T-shirts and, and different merchandise that we've been doing. This isn't uh, – we want to see if some of our listeners can spot the difference. So if you have noticed tonight uh, in this episode that Brian and JT are sounding a bit more crystal clear – you can thank uh, yourself as a listener for helping support us by purchasing some of our design T-shirts, uh, iPod cases, pencil skirts, tote bags uh, that have all been designed by by How throw throw pillows, throw pillows yeah, yes. stickers. Um, we've got a whole new thing, but we're gonna try something new with some additional new releases, limited release T-shirts. How has been busy on the drafting table with his pens and pencils, and I do want to ask with... whoever purchased the pencil skirt. Please tweet a photo of it. Yeah, we're curious to see how that to us. Out. Curious to see how that's a. The I'd like to know the quality awesome. level. I love. The, oh, that's right. Your daughter's in a onesie, right? Yes, it's yeah. so good. It's I want them all. Every design how makes now I want a onesie. So <laughs> if you if you haven't listened to us before and you're going, what the hell are these guys talking about? So if you go to retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us, that's S U P P O R T U S, and that will take you to our shop on Redbubble, um, and we have quite a few different designs from the electric water pageant uh to some epcot uh we are doing it t-shirts uh the retro disney world logo um hydrolators and uh, really uh, the one i love is this is, is the balloons um that how has done so you can pick any of these retro designs uh purchased iphone cases all the aforementioned products but the t-shirts um we're gonna start doing some how why don't you explain what we're doing with these t-shirts you've got like a whole year's worth of designs coming and this is this is getting exciting yeah so so we struck up a partnership with the imperial t-shirt company who uh are the folks from wedway radio and uh what we're we're doing with them uh for the same price as what we can do with the print-on-demand stuff at Redbubble, we're able to do super high-quality silkscreen T-shirts uh, on Anvil shirts and men's and ladies' cuts. So one of the things that 
that uh, I have taken upon myself to do is is try to make sure that our shirts are going to be you know consistently sized, a nice lightweight feel. Uh, we really want to make sure that there's there's a, a way to get good quality in, and this partnership with with Imperial Shirts is really the way that we're going to get it done. So uh, so what we've done is we're we're selecting some shirts so that you know if you get a shirt one time uh, the next month, uh, and if you buy another one or two months later, it's like it's going to be basically the same shirt. So you'll be able to count on it. It's going to be consistent and sizing and it's it'll be a wonderful thing so um because it is real silk screen though we can't do the print on demand so what we're going to do is we're going to take pre-orders uh for 30 days and then uh once those 30 days are over you know however many uh we sell uh that's how many we make um so you do have a a limited a more limited window to purchase them in uh but i'm pretty excited about this month uh because uh I was on Twitter, oh, about two months ago, and someone sent out a picture of a napkin uh, from Illuminations from back in the 1980s. Uh, And it's just a really, really cool, fabulous design. Um, So I went back to reproduce that, and uh, as I was looking at it, I realized that uh, actually the skyline of the pavilions was wrong. This doesn't there look were, right. Yeah. yeah, there were buildings that were aren't there. Uh, so I actually ended up uh, using that as inspiration, but but actually used uh, the real skyline of like real Epcot pavilions, put them in the right order. Um, so so we're gonna have this uh, a very nice like retro inspired uh, design. I know a lot of people really love Illuminations. It's I mean let's face it, it's it's been a classic show since like what two thousand. Has it been since two thousand? It was okay. like a, I think it was a millennium thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no! Illuminations is even from before no. that, isn't yeah. it? Oh no! Was, I'm thinking of the new, new Illuminations. They redid yeah, yeah. Illuminations for the for the. What's the original? The, yeah, it started at the Laser Phonic Fantasy. Laser Phonic Fantasy. Yeah. And then, um, it's been through a number of different incarnations. Yeah. Nevertheless. <laughs> yes. So so that's going to be our special T-shirt, and then uh, there will be a link to that uh, in our show notes and also on the website, so you can come check it out in real life. Two uh, thousands when they added the the flaming ball and and all yes. of that stuff, but the I mean, there, there 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 may not be another uh, show that they do nighttime, daytime, anything that I mean, really, Illuminations is like every year or two they add something else to it. So it's been like a twenty plus year series of additions. In fact, just last year they added the lasers. If you haven't seen it yet, they've added these lasers that fire off and the. You know, uh, so well, at some so, point they had a napkin gun and they shot napkins they, out on the crowd because nap- that's what this shirt is. <laughs> well, they used to love using napkins to promote stuff in the parks. <laughs> right. Just shot napkins right all over the. So, so here's confetti. what we'll do. We'll, we'll, why don't we do a little thing? There were three other shows that predated. We kind of said one of them. Yeah. First listener to send in the e- an email to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com with the na- correct names of the three. Epcot nighttime shows that predated Illuminations, and we'll get out something special. That means you're yeah. not accepting the daytime show, That's right? correct. Daytime no, 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 not that thing with the, the Don't sky. Cheat. Yeah, daytime no, no. fireworks. Yeah. Brilliant idea. <laughs> that works. Ready, set, go. So Do go, podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. So, all right. Um, so what... Why are we doing the T-shirts? You know, why did I mention the, the new crystal clear audio from JT and Brian? Um, we're using the the proceeds, which isn't a lot of money, um, to upgrade some of our microphones, our recording equipment, um, as well as help pay for the uh, subscription. So, 
not only are they sporting new microphones, they're sporting some new headsets. I'm still on the old equipment. Hopefully by next month you guys have uh, helped support us and uh, we're able to uh, upgrade some additional stuff and, and pay for next year's hosting and all those good things that we can keep these shows coming to you. So, And we absolutely appreciate I mean, I appreciate every single person who has bought something not only for the sake of supporting us, but from my personal egotistical side, it's like, <laughs> it's very cool to see stuff that I've done, like getting out and people wearing it and enjoying it. So I'm oh, totally, we get an email every purchase and it's just so funny to see like what actually got bought off Redbubble. I like seeing like yeah. the random, like throw pillows and cases and we sell a lot of shirts, but it's cool to see the other stuff it, too. It really is. It's a toss up for Hal between his children and his wearables. He's not <laughs> yeah. sure which one he's prouder of when right. he receives compliments on which them. Which but... he hangs them all on the wall and just looks at them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me frame this child today. Puts like an X on the wall. Just sold. <laughs> Another one in the kid column, but exactly. two more in the electrical water yeah. pageant dragon shirt. So, right. Bad so day for you we, kids. And also, too, some of the designs that How Does are limited for t shirts. We probably will have some of those available for stickers and tote bags and pencil skirts and the like on our Redbubble store. So with the print on demand. So, so for a limited time, though. Well, exactly. So, all right. Well, with that said, guys, um, JT, it's you have been inundated this month with uh, with listener with listener mail, huh? It's just like insane to me because I get these, you know, and and they they show up and I sort of storm and then I kind of forget about it and then you know we go back and we're like, oh my gosh, that's right, this dude back like right when the podcast dropped because we only do this you know once a month, so right. it's. You got to keep in mind if you send mail and we don't get to it, it's not because we don't love you or we're not appreciative of it. They're just we get so much and it lasts an entire month. It's tough to to hit on all of it. So what, what do we have this month, JT? What, what's in there? So um, first one I have for you, and uh, this is from Eric Crow. Um, said went to Disney World first time April 1972. Um, there was a show with Winnie the Pooh that he chose children from the crowd and kid. Now I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> He said, Winnie the Pooh chose children from the crowd. Did this show have a name? I This was before my time, so I'm going to turn it over to one of you guys. All right. I don't know. Yeah, let me there's, – there's a couple really interesting tidbits about this. So um, first of all, we, we have film of this. Uh, of one of the, Do we? Yeah, it's it's on the film that my dad shot, and, and a couple little pieces are in, in some of the other films that we've restored. Um the I'm not too sure the name of the show at the time when Winnie the Pooh um, w- w- was doing it, but the stage was called the Fantasy Fair stage. Um, ironically, it was named Fantasy Fair with an E on the end of fair and without an E on the end of fair. I don't know what the the difference was there. Um, it was later uh, called the Fantasyland Pavilion. It was located to the right of the Pinocchio Village House. If you're if you're standing there in Fantasyland, looking towards the back, um, it was a kind of a small theater with the kind of some wings off the side that were maybe only eight feet, 10 feet deep. But the center stage was, was much, much deeper. And they had about seating about 450 people. Um, and they also used it for overflow seating for the Pinocchio village house when, you know, during, during highly crowd months. Um, so, but what was really set this apart was that the center stage could retract down below into the utilidors. And would actually go down with the band and everybody playing at the end of the show. It would come up at the beginning of the show, um, just like the stage at Tomorrowland and Disneyland, um, which hmm. I, I found was really, really interesting. So there, there, and people. I did some research on. There were people going back and forth. And it, no, it never went up. It never went down. Sure enough, people found photos of it. Um, 
mid retraction or extraction, whichever way you want to look. I don't know which which direction it was going when the, when the pictures mid lift mid lift. And the comment was, "When do they stop playing?" Because there was somebody on a drum set, you know, banging away. You could tell in the photo. <laughs> it's like how far down <clears throat> Tildor's be finally say, "Oh, that's it. I'm done." Um, so that was a really really unique area. Um, and that area eventually became where Ariel's uh, um, uh, you know, meet and greet area was. I forget what the Ariel's Grotto or something. Well, that was where uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues was. So it was right. It was it was still there. You know, in that area, it existed when Twenty Thousand Leagues was there. On uh, some of the old uh, pictures, I was trying to find a picture of the actual stage, but in some of the old pictures, you can see the whole area and how it is. If you're familiar with that backstage area. Right um, behind, underneath P- Pinocchio's um, village house, there's a, there's pretty much a docking bay where trucks can go down, and uh, right off to the side is where the stage was that would that would go down. So it would be right to the right to where the bathrooms are when you go into yeah Pinocchio Village. Yeah, I was actually in the show. I I got picked right. to like come up on stage and play. Who picked you? Too. Tweet this picture out. How is a child is is there on uh, on the stage? Is there a picture? Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got it. It went out to our email. We'll have to find it for you. Now, did Winnie the Pooh hose you on the autograph too, <laughs> like he did with me? <laughs> there were autograph books back then. It was seventy three. Oh, that's no. right. I well, did get snubbed by Tigger once. Oh. Yeah, I hate Winnie the Pooh for that reason. Tigger. So. The uh, the the Pooh costume back then was really is was radically different from the Pooh costume now, and I, and I actually think much better. Was it the honeypot oh, on his head? Yeah, the, the honeypot on his head. Yeah. yeah, where the like stomach could do this weird distended like shaking thing. Yep. Yeah. Philly it was Fanatic very cool. does that for those of you 12 listeners who know who the Philly Fanatic is. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, that mascot move with the belly thing. Yeah, I know what yes. you mean. Yeah, but it was the show had a mix of, uh, so it had Pooh and Tigger, uh, an Alice face character from Alice in Wonderland, the walrus. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm, I think there might have been an Aristocat or two in the mix as well. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was this weird cornucopia of Disney characters. So, so going back to Eric's question, was there a, a name for the show? Now they, this is how bland it was. There's a picture where they called it the fancy fair children's show. Uh. <laughs> That's what it was called. Uh, and thus implying that the shows may be altered from Not the fantasy fair adults. Yeah, show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the children's one. <laughs> um, so apparently there was a sign with a clock face and the image of Sorcerer Mickey and, and when a performance was done um, well, a cast member would come out and move the hands of the you know of Mickey to, to indicate the next showtime but there were a couple other there was definitely um, multiple shows we talked about Winnie the Pooh the Three Little Pigs was very popular there as well um, in 19 oh and Aristocats when, when that came out that was popular they also had in 1987 the Fantasy Follies there's a couple pictures of that 1988 you're totally getting down with totally mini and 1991 miss minnie's country christmas it finally closed in 96 um and was replaced by ariel's grotto if you want to go visit the area where the where it was you have to go into bell's cottage or somewhere around there that's that's where it was was today so but uh eric thank you for sending that in i appreciate that uh that's a good question yeah excellent uncovered a little Interesting history, the elevator of Fantasyland. So, but um, I got a tougher one for you. You got a tougher one. This one blew my mind too. You know, I put the ones that I don't know in a folder, and then I just pass them to you guys. So this one, (laughs) um, what do you know about the pirate ship that was at Discovery Island? And this is from Keith S. Um, I don't know. I've seen it. Yeah, I don't know. That's all I know about it. 
you're going to be the best one for this. I think you got to you got to take this one. Yeah, so so we know that uh before it was Discovery Island, the the concept for Rees Island uh as it was known when Disney bought it was was a, a thing called Treasure Island. So it was supposed before it became the full-on botanical uh and uh, sort of animal uh park that we know it. Um, they were really trying to play hard on making it a treasure island themed island, and they had a lot of uh, plans for actually some some larger attractions there, uh, really? like uh, caves. That some things that sort of sort of ended up in in Tom Sawyer Island. So uh, they they were going to have a cave that you could go through, and like there'd be treasure inside of it. Um, there was going to be a large wreck of the Hispaniola uh, offshore. Like a full size galleon, like wow. humongous. That's sweet on Bay there's, Lake. Yeah, there's there's renderings uh, of this stuff and um, and a bunch of other uh, little side attractions. As as I'm talking, I'll I'll pull up one of the early uh, brochures to reference some of the other things. But the the wreck that is actually there, uh, it could still be there now. I don't know if they ever bothered it to is, like get rid of it. It's still there. Just it looks rotting away. Yeah, everything's of it are there. Yeah, it looks completely overgrown by even the beach has just been completely overgrown by, uh, by grass and weeds and stuff. Now, uh, that is the wreck of the walrus, <laughs> the walrus. Uh, which which was another captain's ship. Uh, it it is sometimes misidentified as the Hispaniola, um, but all the the early nomenclature. Uh, says that it is the wreck of the walrus. And uh, we've, we got some really good info about how uh, the ship ended up there because it's it's not actually completely on the shore. It's kind of half in the water and half out of the water. So uh, apparently what they did is they used propellers from boats to sort of gouge out the sand there. Right. That's... And then... Uh, OSHA in order to... approved method. That's... Yeah. <laughs> There is, nothing, there is yeah, nothing. Salty, about just this, back it up and run that. <laughs> yeah, there is it's nothing about this attraction about from its installation to the pictures of the kids hanging off the mast <laughs> that's like eight feet off the ground. Yeah, with nothing underneath of them but the but the sand and the water. Just death below and the them. netting up the top. Somebody's climb. I mean, it, it is any any risk management lawyer would walk in now. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to <laughs> rope this off. Nobody can touch this. That, um, was, I, that was the beauty of the 70s, though. Yeah, nobody cared. They didn't care. Right. Oh, <laughs> it's your fault if you fall. Yeah. Uh, so, so they gouged out the sand, and then they put some uh, some like large metal eyelets in there, and used cable to actually like pull the ship up against the shore, and then lock it down. So the reason it's probably not gone is because it's actually winched and cabled like directly to the side of the island, so it wouldn't go anywhere. Oh, leg slicing cable there for all yeah. the children to play on. So here's so here's some of the other stuff that was supposed to come. Billy Bones dilemma: Captain Flint's first mate falls prey to the perils of the open sea. So I guess this was just <laughs> going to be like a rowboat with a skeleton in it, surrounded by sharks. It would just kind of awesome. like spin in around Bay and Lake. around. Fun. Uh, Spyglass Hill, a fantastic rock formation in the heart of the island, a primeval playground, and you'll discover the secrets of Treasure Isle. <laughs> then. Uh, Ben Gunn's cave, uh, as mysterious as the strange hermit himself. Its exact location is unknown even today, but we know it's someplace on the island. <laughs> now, why did why did none of this stick? Well, so they got 
you know, they got into the first couple years of this, and I think the Treasure Island concept just wasn't as compelling as just I don't think it really hit it for people. It was kind of I would say half-heartedly done. I mean, it really looks like it was rushed. There wasn't anything super fantastic about it. So th- so then they went with a more uh, nature-oriented theme and changed it to Discovery Island and, and played up the more natural aspects of it. Can you imagine how bummed stories. you would be if you got out there for, when it was first opened as Discovery? I mean, as Treasure Island, be like, this is it? Yeah, there's, there's like no boat. treasure. There's no treasure. There's a boat. You Go climb on that shore. boat, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Even well, as Discovery Island, I remember being kind of bored as a kid going there. Yeah, yeah I mean... I think yeah. part of it also is the that that uh, the way they were trying to develop it as a as a you know outside the parks is more of an adult resort, right? And so the Treasure Island theme, you know, not a lot of forty year old guys want to go out there and pretend they're hunting for treasure in in Black Bart's cave or whatever the hell you were just talking about. Uh, so I think that was part of why the transition went to more adult activities. Now it's been pointed out that that. As the '70s went on, that clientele really didn't develop uh, for for the resort. It didn't become really an adult playground. Uh, it was more, you know, it was always more, you know, families and dealing with kids. And so I think is how I mean, I, you know, the 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 island itself is fascinating to me. But at no time have I ever said, "Boy, I really wish I got to spend a lot of time on Discovery Island." <laughs> they, uh, I heard that when it was Treasure Island, people there were more interested in the birds that were there because it is natural for the birds to go there. You know, if you go by now, they're still hanging out there like crazy. You know, lake birds and this and that. They were more interested in that than finding buried treasure. So it was <laughs> probably something to actually look at there. Cause yeah, the rest that was of the, the thing. Stuff, yeah. They were like, Hey, what's that bird there? What are you, and they're like, I don't know. Go find this treasure kid. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, what are you talking? You're out of your mind. I'm and, going to and, open my ornithology book to the lake bird section. Yes. <laughs> well, well you know, a, the big cranes and the big, you yeah, know, I know the, what you mean. The, as yeah. a Floridian, it's like, yes, the birds that hang around places like that are really wildly exotic compared to like the deer and the pigeons and things that you see like in the North and other places. So yeah, I told you, <laughs> I, I totally believe that. But one of my one of my favorite memories of of that thing, and if it was one of the earlier podcasts, I actually got this wrong. I had a very vague memory of who I thought was Poco playing uh, music like next to that ship, and I, I asked Progress City USA because I know he's a big fan of all the Disney TV specials, and he was able to actually narrow it down in thirty seconds to Pablo Cruz on uh, a. Uh, on a Christmas special. So uh, we uh, let's enjoy a few moments of their hit song played on Discovery Island. Fantastic. That is, oh man, that does that not take you back? You, you can just picture yourself sitting maybe on the porch of Roy's cabin, yes. hearing just, Pablo Cruz and maybe just, uh, seeing them play across the way. Yeah, saying, turn that noise down. Uh, turn you that down from kids. that island. Don't make me get in my rowboat and come over there. Uh, you know, that television special was called The, the Christmas at uh, Walt Disney World. Um, I think it was ni- 1978, as you mentioned. Uh, I. What is the, the there was a special um, it was the mime duo of Shields and Yarnell and there is a fantastic I have to read this to you uh, 
there's a there's a youtube video and it says um, the year was 1978 america was disheartened in the wake of watergate and the vietnam war it goes on and on and it basically he says that the professional mime duo shields you now provide this heaping dose of nightmare nightmare fuel a truly upsetting bit that has nothing to do with christmas or walt disney world so if you want to be scared out of your wit we'll we'll post the link to this have you guys have you watched all of it how there there is a extended scene of them <laughs> in a rowboat in the 20k lagoon that you have to go see just because <laughs> it's two people <laughs> pretending to be robots in the middle of the 20k what about them in the blue and the pink baby costumes in front <laughs> of the strollers i'll send this this link to you guys now just go to the 106 mark of this link and 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 you're just gonna there's just nothing more disturbing uh <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad it. when they start oh my goodness look at this who no. is this <laughs> jump to 216 when they have each other's hands in their mouths and they're sucking each other's I, thumbs that, that's where it jumped to right with the link you sent us yeah oh but no go gosh go to two go to 214 so for those of you who are fortunately <laughs> young enough to not have lived through this in 1970 yeah that's me shields and yarnell were this group of mimes that appeared on multiple television shows and and typically they did these routines where they pretended to be robots because it was the 70s and robots were cool yep. uh, and they were very well known for like that particular shtick so uh, in this case they built this entire christmas special around these my, guys my favorite comment on this youtube video from progress city underneath one of the people wrote between this and the Star Wars holiday special, it's a miracle that Christmas wasn't canceled forever after 1978. Change Christmas specials forever. The, ofi- the official one was called the Clinker's Christmas Vacation at Walt Disney World. So I, I got to send you. And they fly Eastern Airlines. So the guys, the, you could, it's it's nightmarish, but it's it's worth a, a watch. So we're going to have to put Can we make a special Clinker shirt, do you think? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We, we sell like two that. of them. <laughs> oh man! Today. Well, hey, Keith S. Thank you for for writing in. Thank you for the the the, the uh, journey back to Discovery Island. A little bit of Pablo Cruz there. So uh, we're gonna post all these videos. We also have the wonderful videos. How talk to Pablo Cruz standing there, right on the island. So. Mm-hmm. Should just note that Yarnell passed away in 2010. So rest in peace. Oh, or uh, one out for your home. She, she, she was the, uh, the the woman of the group. Yeah. The man and woman group. And we should also note that uh, Yarnell played Dot Matrix in the movie Spaceballs. Oh, she. Oh, oh and the voice was. Voice uh, was Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers, but she was she played Dot Matrix. Another one, Joan Rivers. I did not know that. So, huh. All right. JT, you had something else, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I want to do a special prize this month. And I don't know if this is going to work, but okay. you, the listener, has to make this work. You have to. It's just um, – speaking of Discovery Island, I know the boat, the crash ship is still there, the remnants of it. So here's my challenge to you. And this can be emailed to us. This can be Twittered. This can be Facebooked to us for a very special prize from my personal archive that I don't want to give away. But you have to do this to give it away. I want a picture of you, whoever you are. In front of that boat. Now that you can do this legally, you can go rent a water sprite. You can go on the the boat ride from Fort Wilderness to wherever. But rolling by there, I would like a selfie in 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 
like I want like a date, you know, held up on a card or something, not Photoshop. Like, you know, make this legit. So yep. for the I ransom note, yeah, we want yeah. the GPS coordinates yeah. embedded in the fixed picture. Yeah, of the so you can do, and you don't even have to literally like you can do it all right there from like a cell phone. You got good signal there. You just roll up in your water sprite, snap the selfie with a selfie stick, you know, because they don't bat ban them on a water sprite, and then <laughs> boom, send it our way, and then you get a special prize directly from me. Look and Ken that. Dressler gets his kids back. That's right. Yes, Ken Dressler gets his kids back. Podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Twitter us or Facebook us and say, this is for the special prize because I just did the challenge. We, Boom. That, that's two prizes already we're giving away this month. We're now going What's into... What's the first? The first one was my... I was going to give away the special prize for the person who came up with the, the three shows of yes. Predated Illumination. Right. This is so, like Oprah's special episode it, it where really everybody is. gets a car. Yeah, everybody gets a car and an Xbox at the end. It's so, Christmas in July. Christmas. So let's Christmas go on to the, the third audio... The, let's go on to Audio Rewind and, and give away the, the third prize for the for the month. So Audio Rewind, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, we, we do play a, a, a audio clip from years past and, and you as a listener need to write in and tell us what it is. So um, let's take a listen to last month's uh, Audio Rewind Puzzler. All right, guys. So, so what do you think? Did did either any of you guys get that? No, uh, I didn't at all. You did not. Did it stump? We uh, how we stumped you last month? Did we stump you this month, or did you, you get it? Oh, I've seen that pre-show enough that I. Uh, I all right, that yeah. we stumped you once on the year, so that's well, pretty. Fool me once, good. shame on me. That's right. To, so, to be fair, go ahead. Tell them what the answer is. Well, well, the answer is it's from the pre-show of Magic Journeys and Captain EO, and the song was True Colors. So uh, so we have two winners this month. The prize, for those of you uh, listening last month, the prize are these special handmade, I shouldn't say, 3D printed Spaceship Earth um, they're coasters, whatever you want to call them. The logos, they're, they're printed in the um, square, just like the signs that were around Epcot Center uh, in the early years. So we have two to give away. I printed an extra one this month, so I've decided to give away two, two of them. On top of that, we have some very special um, retro Disney World stickers we're going to be throwing into the prize pack. Uh, yeah, look, check month. this out, guys. Look at this. Look at this. I've got all sorts of stickers here. We've got our fun to be free, the RetroDisneyWorld.com, Hydrolator stickers, um, and the Electrical Water Pound. So you guys are going to get a couple of stickers. You're going to get your your uh, uh, World of, I'm sorry, World of Motion, Spaceship Earth Coaster. So the winner this month, we got two of them, as we said, is Alex Suarez and Tammy Norman. So congratulations to both of you guys. Hey. You know, the prize packs are getting bigger. They're going up. You get the first one with the stickers. And little do you know, you also receive, I, I also have some greeting cards, and I'll, I'll write a big congratulations note in there. It's autographed for you. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We got, some, we got some greeting cards with our with our logos and things on it. So, um, JT, do you have a, do anybody have a prize to give out this month before we get into the auto rewind? Anybody have anything? 
I, I gave yes. mine away the special of prize. I do. Oh, Hal's got something. All right, we got, got I, will, I will give away a copy of Building a Better Mouse by oh. Steve Alcorn and David Green. Fantastic. That is the, the book that the we book, talked about. Yeah, that yeah. That's a good prize. That's an awesome prize. Excellent. All right. Well, let's take a listen to this month's Audio Rewind, and we'll give you the instructions shortly on what you need to do. Everybody needs a All right, if you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guess or correct answer to podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. We'll randomly select a winner out of all correct uh, really correct answers received, and uh, we'll send you the prize, which is this month a book of Building a Better Mouse, uh, compliments of how. And uh, also, too, don't forget, all entries will be entered into the drawing for the big prize in December 2015, which is the replica, replica Paul Hartley map from Oh, that's right. .com. Yeah, that thing. You got one of those, JT. You've got one. Yeah, send, send them. I mean, cause, or send your entries, even if you don't want the building a better mouse, because you're entered again. Like, so if, now answer this, Todd. If you enter, like, last month and you didn't win, and yep. then you enter this month and you didn't. Is that two entries? Two in- entries. So, oh my gosh! So back. you should do this every month, people. We, we, That's- we have a file that we keep, and and the entries are growing. So, even if you don't know, take a stab at it. See what you any can. guess gets you guess. an entry. Exactly. So again, if you think you know the answer, send your entry to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com, and we'll announce the winner in next month's podcast episode ten. Um, and we are since that episode is probably going to go live. Let's see, late August. We do ask that you get all of your entries in by August tenth, two thousand fifteen. All right, well, it's time for our film restoration portion of the program. Um, this area is brought to us by Pixel for a thoughtful once-in-a-lifetime gift. Contact Pixel to create pristine digital transfers from your old home movies, photos, videotapes, or slides. Now available in the cloud with the Reflectera app. To get started today, visit Pixel.com or call 1-800-557-3508. You can also get more information and links at RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash ImageWorks. And you can get a coupon there for an additional 10% off. And if you have any Disney footage in your film, we'll do free restoration, stabilization, color correction, all that good stuff of your films and videos. So this month, our film restoration takes us back to 1972. Uh, This is a film that I acquired off of eBay. Uh, Unknown who the people are in the film that repeat we'll see them a couple times in here um that's from august 1972 and um you know it starts off with the standard uh, obligatory shot uh on main street down by the flagpole with the jitney bus starting to go up main street um old original colors on a lot of the buildings too um and then it jumps to a nice nice pan of uh flower street uh which, which is really cool you don't get to see all of it but it's kind of interesting there. I think one of the, <laughs> the funniest things is you guys just see that. Yeah, the <laughs> like, guy walking into the frame. <laughs> the 31 mark. Whoa, we're, uh, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and I have to throw in my standard line. Hey, it's the flower market. It's right. It's right. something everyone took film and photos of. It's Good a, thing they got rid of it. It's amazing yeah. how much that popped up over and over and over. And that was on East Street, right? Or West Street. Which street was it on? Nobody bought anything. That's why it closed. No, remember we have footage. Another film. The girl has the film. Yeah, flowers. Walking with bouquets of flowers. Yeah. yeah. That was That'd the be one West, time. West Side. It was on West Street. Okay. West Side. Yeah, yeah because actually if you, if you look carefully at the about 40, 
45, 46, and 47, you'll see that the uh, the fire engine goes up and it's and he's going up the east side, and you can see that East Street is is completely empty. And oh, yeah. for those of you trying to place it, it's uh, it they, they they extended the emporium in there, right? They, right. They enclosed it and made it all part of the emporium. So exactly. That's exactly. what happened to flower the flower market. So uh, we were looking at this beforehand and how point on an interesting thing at the 104 mark, um, the, the flags, why would the flags be on main street? And those are, what is the flag when they had the circle of stars? What, I can't remember what that represented. That was earlier in America, dude. Wasn't that, that was the, the original 13 colonies? Yeah. No, no that flag? looks like more. No, that looks like more than 13 stars. Doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Can't really tell from the film. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It may not write, be. Write us. Let us know what you see. What you think. <laughs> so go to the American Adventure right now and look at all the flags in there. Exactly. In the escalator and then tell us what it is. Which I mean, they, yeah. We don't know what month this was shot, do we? August. August. Oh, that, that, that makes it confusing because I would say flags make sense for Memorial Day, 4th of July, or Labor Day, but. Yeah, it did. Maybe yeah, somebody maybe, just maybe screwed is, up the maybe night it is before. The third, like, maybe it is the original 13 columns. Jenkins, flag. you idiot. You put up the flags late again. <laughs> this was the one day they Yeah, were that out. is the 13 columns. So anyway, enough about flags. Um, remember, do you remember, guys, we did one of the very first films we reviewed was one of my grandparents, and there were sailors in it. And somebody commented that the sailors uh, would come. I, I don't know if it was from the Tampa side or or. or Canaveral oh, side. Yeah, that that was me. That. There's actually a naval training center. Well, there was a naval training center in Orlando. Ah, okay. At that time. That's what it is. So look at 126. You see a number of sailors uh, hanging out on the uh, on the walkway up to the castle. Always there in their in their whites in their exactly. uniforms. Yep. No life preservers though, like Marty McFly. No. <laughs> Youth Coast Guard Auxiliary. That's what that was. There is a guy there, uh, right at the one thirty-eight mark, shooting <laughs> eight millimeter film straight up at the castle spires. <laughs> That's right. If Where you is are that, that gentleman or know him, we would love to see yeah, that film because that is a it's a sweet looking Mr. camera. Mr. McFarkle. It's Mr. McFarkle right there. <laughs> he got it. Do you see how quick he pulled it away? Because he knew he only had how many minutes? Yeah, exactly, quick. exactly. He three took minutes. about seven frames. He had three minutes in that canister. <laughs> Boom. Done. Okay. Next. I love the hat that the kid is wearing at 146. Big feather. <laughs> that thing is huge. He never wore that again. You know it. <laughs> never wore that thing again. It looks like Steve Martin from The Jerk when he gets out of that Trans Am <laughs> and he's got that big hat. <laughs> oh, man. So nice, some really nice shots of the Skyway, too. Yeah. There's, there's some good shots of the old Fantasyland garbage cans in there, too, if, if the garbage cans are your thing. They have these Magical weird trash. little tops. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Right ben. there at the one forty nine, they have almost like circus tents, right? Mm-hmm. And Ben, is that the uh, that's the carousel we're looking at, right? That the is yep. that the yes. carousel? Yep. That that's the, the yeah, that's the carousel. Yeah. So there are benches around it, which you won't find these days, right? Well, you know, that's where Walt Disney would sit while that's the kids right. were were on the carousel. So of course, you got to have mm-hmm. benches there. That's right. There's some key balloon. There's yeah, some when you're looking at the skyway, it's like check out how elaborate some of the weather vanes are. There's some yeah. like crazy elaborate weather vanes. Yeah, those still those buildings. Are th- those aren't still there today, are they? That's I'm like, not sure, but I want to go look now. Yeah, we got to go check that out. See what's quick. See what's how there. are they still open? Extra magic hours. <laughs> <laughs> so how in, 
you're going to have to do some, how you know a lot more about the Polynesian culture, but I guess somebody had seen this film and commented about the 239 mark with the pre-show area to the tiki birds and how that the uh, underneath the the statue there he was had oranges all around him. Yeah, right. so which is completely makes sense because it was sponsored by the Florida or, the Orange. Florida Orange Growers Association. So they stuffed them all under there next to, them to get so a little had, extra. Yeah, they had oranges there, and then inside the attraction where the uh, the the smoking stuff comes up from the flowers underneath yeah. the birds, there were oranges all around there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. The magic fountain. The magic fountain. Yeah, that. yeah, and uh, this also has the uh, some of the tiki babies from Tangaroa. Uh, oh, hanging down Disneyland, there. sort of yeah. hanging down, and those would sort of uh, over the course of years kind of appear and disappear from that pre-show area. So sometimes you'll see films where they're there, and sometimes you'll see ones where they're not. Hmm. Yeah, there they are. For for whatever reason. So they got some cool old retro shopping bags, but for seventy-two, those are it's interesting. They have Minnie and Mickey on them. It looks like they look newer. But it's not. Those are older. <laughs> They're not as retro, though. I remember those. God, I remember those, yeah. That's what you put your pies in, right? That's right. <laughs> the yeah, sweet those, trash can. Yeah, they're, they're red plastic carryall bags. Right. With the um, you know, Mickey face and then Minnie and Mickey inside of it. A horrible time they're, to zoom uh, in on it's these It's a great people. shot there of how elevated the Adventureland Bridge used to be here at the 323 mark. Oh, yeah, the hill. Which was, really? which was necessary for the swan boats to pass under it. Yep, yep. And then when they stopped running the swan boats, they actually lowered it three times until it's current where there's no there's no incline at there's all. There's nothing, yeah. Across it's it. it may, and if you, anybody remembers what this sound is, <laughs> she pushed the big metal strollers over that. <laughs> How you remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Man, that thing made a noise like crazy. I remember hitting all of them. But, uh, yeah, gone is that sound with the strollers. It's got to be a shot of the strollers in here somewhere. But there's the double decker bus going up. Yeah, the bus going up Main Street with the sweet posters on the side. Yeah. That's, that's right. We're at three thirty-seven there, and the rest is just a pan up into the uh, ends with a p- nice pan up to the castle. Yeah, nice yeah, pan at the hub though. You see a lot of activity. S- you get to see what the hub looked like before it was a a place to watch fireworks with a bunch of cement and. <laughs> A lot of astroturf, and and um, you know, just a lot of colors. Yeah, you know, the flowers, flowers, the, the topiaries. Colors, yeah, yeah, really interesting how much topiary work there is, is in the colors. It's a nice yeah. little film. Yeah, I mean, a short, not a lot, whole lot of different things in there, but you know, the things that we pointed out out are pretty cool, and you know, really makes us remember those different things that we've. Uh, that aren't there anymore. So it's it's just amazing, and, and Brian has pointed this out many times. When you look at these older films, just how more much more relaxed and laid back it seems. Mm-hmm. It's less crowded, you know. It's busy, but it it's not that crazy harried. Like I want to strangle somebody because I'm trying to get through Fantasyland. Exactly. It's a sea of people, and there's strollers everywhere. Feeling it's. I- I had to do a double take after I did this film a lot. Sometimes now and then, when I restore them and stuff, um, I'll accidentally type something wrong and the frame rate will get messed up. And I honestly, I thought that this one was processed too slow, that I had the wrong frame rate. And I went back and checked it a number of times. And this is correct. And what really shows is what you're talking about, how look at 126 on when the people are walking up to the castle. They're just, yep, 
we're taking step by step, enjoying the view, enjoying the day. None of this running for my fast pass, you know, and stuff. It's it's a it's a made gotta get to that thing, you know. Everybody's just kind of walking around enjoying. But the other thing too, you wonder is there was only one park to see, so you didn't really have to try to get to, you know, four separate places on your trip too. True. You just had to see this and walk around and enjoy it. And that was it, yeah. And, and then go to Discovery Island. Yeah, had to go to yeah. see Pablo Cruz and yeah. take a ride on the Southern Seas and yeah, they, or the cocktail uh, cruises. Yeah, the the. I, I participated in a discussion one time with a bunch of uh, other Twitter folks about this, and uh, one of them pinpointed the point uh, somewhere around when Animal Kingdom opened was when you were trying to squeeze in uh, four different parks, and the, the the massive stroller started, and the backpacks, and the, you mm-hmm. know, the parents parents packing for the day like they were about to hike Mount Everest. Uh, you know, like they had to have every something for every possible eventuality. Because if you you got ketchup on your shorts, you couldn't possibly, you know, take an hour out of your day to go back to the hotel and change. That would just you know ruin your vacation. And uh, so I, I don't want us to sound like the grumpy old men talking about about the good old <laughs> days. But you will hear us frequently refer to uh, the pacing of the vacation Look, is my very very needs different. A stroller with a built-in fridge. She just right. needs it. Right. We need everything the- in there. But to your point, if you were, if literally all you knew, you knew you were going to go to the park for a few hours, go back to your hotel and that was it. It's like, you didn't need a giant stroller to pack much. No, no. You were taking, you were taking a monorail or a bus one stop, right? And there are many people today that it's like their plan is, all right, I'm going to the magic kingdom from, I'm going to rope drop it. I'm going to be there until 10 o'clock from 10 o'clock. I'm going to Epcot. Then I'm going from Epcot to animal kingdom. And then I'm going to go from animal kingdom, like back over to this place for fireworks. It's, I'll tell you why I got a theory. You know why? Because it costs so much now. People right. go once in their life and they need to see it all. Whereas if you go so slow and you relax and take your time, you definitely don't see it all. But to me, you see enough. And if you go back the next year or a year later or something like that, you can see more of it. There's right. just no way you can see it all. And people don't realize that. And they try to see it all and they can't. But with it being so small back then, too, there was, I mean, we've seen a lot of the different paperwork that went out with the different resorts where they would highlight the different dinner shows and and different things. And the Magic Kingdom did close a little earlier. So those were things you looked forward to doing. And they have those things, unfortunately, whether it's fishing or horseback riding or a water sprite, have become secondary to people's vacations now. I read a very fascinating document uh, from when they were doing the pre-planning for Disney World. And uh, so this would have been sometime about 69, I think. And uh, there was, they had recognized that there was a perception that uh, Disneyland, while incredibly enjoyable, was actually uh, on the expensive side uh, for a family to go. And they knew uh, if someone was coming to uh, Walt Disney World and staying for, you know, two or three days, you know, they may not actually have the money to uh, go back to the Magic Kingdom two days in a row. Uh, And so based on research that they had done uh, at other resort hotels, it's like that's why they wanted to utilize uh, the watercraft, the sprites, the sailboats, the water ski show. Um, because those are all things that people would do at resorts that cost less money than a, a hard ticket, uh, to get into the park again. 
and uh, the use of of the water there was really seen as sort of the key to uh, giving re- uh, people a reason to extend their vacation another day. Right. Um, so by the time Epcot and also the Magic Kingdom closes six o'clock, so right. when and, Epcot comes around, the dynamic completely changes. Right. right. And, and and completely fascinating because in the original plan, I think we talked about it on the last episode. There was no body of water that was going to be there. You know that 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 whole uh, uh, Seven Seas Lagoon wasn't supposed to be there. Right. So right. the dynamic completely it was just going to be a parking that, yeah. lot. You know? They they figured Bay Lake would be used for water right. sports because even that has like a, a humongous sort of like four hundred. I can't remember now four hundred square feet or I mean it was a, not square feet. It was a very large surface area. They they figured the spiders uh, <laughs> are going to be ridiculous. <laughs> they figured that's where all the water stuff would go. So yes, so extending that to the Seven Seas Lagoon, it's like that just opened it up even more. So yeah. Right. Yep. All right, guys. So we got to decide. We're closing out here. Where where are we going next month? What uh, what ideas do we have? As Brian, I think you 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 had a night here, right? Something relating uh, yeah. to some new history. So at the uh... At next month's D23 Expo, the Disney Fan Club Expo that they have every other year out in California, it is anticipated uh, that they're going to announce the renaming and relaunch of Disney MGM Studios, which became Disney's Hollywood Studios, uh, which is now set to become Disney's Hollywood Adventure theme park. Uh, and they've, they've got some plans there for for some major investment and new rides and and uh, new theming of some of what they do there. Uh, so I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to step back in time uh, to the day that the Disney MGM Studios opened, because one of us, not me, JT, or you, Todd, yeah. uh, happened to camp out the night before so that they could be one of the first people to set foot in that turquoise wonderland really yeah yeah you got me we uh i spent the evening starting about two o'clock in the middle of world drive and uh experienced the opening day saw michael eisner uh in the flesh and all that jazz so yeah tracy was he there he was (laughs) he was there with his diamond double cross now how are you are you bringing any special guests with you on this episode do you know Let's see. We might do that. Okay. Might, I, I do have a, a compatriot who was there with me that night and remembers some of the details. So we'll see All if right. we can Ignis. see if we can. So excited. Yeah. yeah. I was there that year. I'm like, this yeah. is like me. This I, is I was first time. I was there after. I think uh, it opened in May, right? I was there in yep. July, July, July or August when you would queue up at 6 a.m. So, so, so the idea nugget for this episode came because on May 1st this year was the 25th anniversary of the opening of the park. Yep. And if you followed Hal on Twitter, he uh, he he recreated a live tweet of the, you know, the opening hours uh, and the things that he saw and he experienced. And as soon as I saw it, I said, "Boy, this is going to make a terrific podcast someday." So, so uh, we won't get into as much of the planning and other stuff of the park as we will Hal walking us through opening day. Yeah, it was obviously things have changed radically and are about to go through a huge change there. Uh, not just with all the closures, but with all the things that are potentially going to open there. So, and it just goes to show how small the park was. If we can walk through the entire park with you and an hour with now. nothing to do, <laughs> it was a it was a full day. It yeah, was a full day park. It was. It was. I remember going through. It was. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It's particularly in the back half. You were. Yep. It felt like if if it wasn't a full day, it certainly it, felt like one. Your feet were tired. <laughs> yeah. 
So, well, times have certainly changed. And that said, I think our time is done for this month, guys. It's time to close out. So, as always, thank you to all of our listeners for uh, listening, um, listening to us and supporting us. Um, if you can give us a shout-out on iTunes and a review, greatly appreciate it. If you're interested in purchasing any of our special merchandise, please visit us at retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us. And again, as I've said earlier, all proceeds of that merchandise will go to help improve our audio equipment, recording, um, and uh, hosting fees for for the year so appreciate everybody um also a special thank you to our sponsors pixel and uh wdwmap.com as well as chris buckholes and his attraction posters that we've talked about a number of times and given away um if you're interested in sponsoring any part of the retro disney world podcast please email us at info at retro disney um with that said uh i thank all of our listeners for listening again and uh guys why don't you plug where where we can find you guys uh, JT? Uh, check me out at Hoagie's Garage on Twitter and hoagiesgarage.com. All right. Brian? You can find me on Twitter at Brian P. Miles. And how? I am on Twitter at GoAwayGreen. There we go. So, all right. Well, again, thanks to all of our listeners for listening. We'll see you next month, episode 10, when we take you back to the Disney MGM Studios on opening day. Until then, Brian, take us out. From our topic tonight, the American Adventure, spare a dime. <laughs> sure, buy four of my apples and I'll loan you back the 10 cents. <laughs>